0: Greetings. Yesterday's game was interrupted, although primary goal has not yet been achieved. Solution is near. Game time elapsed. 31 hours, 12 minutes, eight seconds. Estimated time remaining, 52 hours,
1: 17 minutes, 10 seconds. What is the primary goal? To win the game
2: hello everybody and welcome back to the Shirley. you can't be serious podcast we are here with part two of our tron versus war games series shall we play a game
1: i've got galaga that i've been paid to train myself on i've got space paranoids i've got matrix blaster those are <laughs> flynn games are you sitting comfortably then we'll begin Okay,
2: guys, if you haven't caught the first episode, I introduced Chad. He is a guy who uh, specializes in the intersection between environmental conditions and national security. He has advised various universities. He has consulted with US departments and military ops. He's a super cool dude who loves 80s movies and music just like us, which I think is why he's here today. Chad, welcome back, man.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate being
1: here.
2: Okay, so the last time we were here, I mentioned that Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks had this monumental, pivotal meeting with a guy who said, hey, have you seen computer games? You notice how similar they are to the NORAD screens and how those things might intersect? And that was a huge moment for them. And that guy that I mentioned was named Peter Schwartz. Peter Schwartz actually turns out is a very famous guy, futurist, but... (laughs) After the show, Chad told me, hey, (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt you, but I know Peter. So tell us, tell us what you know about Peter Schwartz.
0: Well, Peter Schwartz originally worked for RAND Corporation, which itself was attached to the U.S. Air Force and was a think tank for the U.S. military to try to think about things like what would nuclear war be like? So all the ideas of war games started at the RAND Corporation. And then Peter Schwartz and a few others started what was known as the Global Business Network. That was associated with my work at the Department of Energy. So when he wrote one of the first papers for the Pentagon about intersection of climate change and national security, he met me a little while after that actually apologized to me uh because i was about to point out to him i was i was just some young guy right, uh, right. i was leading i was leading this team But I was like, even Mr. Schwartz, uh, you got a couple things wrong here. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, we kind of yeah, we're not experts on this. This is up to you now. This is up to you now. You take it. You take it. So you know, really gracious. But yeah, we worked with all these futurists because I suppose that's part of my work myself. You know, we try to think of what will conditions be like in the future. What will technology look like? What will that effect have on the environment? And how does that all fit with national security and homeland security and uh, just what people are trying to do.
2: Yeah, I think I saw something that you had done a few years ago where you were talking about how they had, in the in the 90s, they had developed all of these projections about Arctic conditions, and, and everybody had relied on those predictions. And then by the early 2000s everybody just kind of said, well these were all wrong and we have to throw them all out. Right. The
0: models will only tell you what you program them to tell you. So, if you don't get the models right or if you don't have the data right. Yeah, with the Arctic, they were measuring the wrong things. They they were, you know, you could get satellite photos of how much ice there is in the Arctic, but that's just extent. It doesn't tell you the volume. So, we we were making policies based on Conditions that we were hoping it was going to be a linear sort of relationship, right? Well, right. tomorrow will be pretty much like yesterday, just a little bit more so. But no, things just started changing a lot more quickly.
2: Uh, well, and we've, we're only able to look at what we have the ability to look at, right? That's another problem is that they will focus on something that we have the capacity to see and completely ignore something that they know is out there, but they have no ability to monitor it or see it. So it creates- The the Rumsfeldian
0: known unknowns and- Right, but, but that relates to these movies too, right? Because when you're looking at early warning for movies like War Game, they have to rely upon- what the radars are telling them or what the satellites are telling them. And if they don't see things from other places, they're not going to know about it. Right. So there's even a scene in the movie where one of the aides comes up to General berenger uh Barry Corbin's character, right? And says, General, uh, we, we have this new information that the Russians have developed a new stealth bomber that can project its radar image 75 miles away from this. God, we're Jason our own shadows now. Right. So yeah, it's it's all based upon what we know is just sort of what we know. And <laughs> That makes it really tough to sort of simulate things that that can happen in the future because so, we're we're sort of basing everything according to you know our our own assumptions and our own understanding of everything.
2: So I got a, I got a couple of practical questions. First, in the real world, do they call them war games?
0: They do. They, they don't. don't just
2: call them simulations. They don't get offended at the term war games.
0: Well, if you're working with people who aren't in the military, then they don't necessarily like war games as much as simulations. But simulations tends to suggests that it's computerized whereas war games can be pen and paper kind of stuff um and 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 that's a lot of what i've done in the past is just really simplified sort of war games but yeah they'll call them war games there's a lot of terminology that actually picked up from that movie um even the the term firewall uh was picked up from war games that no no one used that popularly until after the movie
1: can we invade the deep logic keep hitting a damn firewall wants to play a game then play it
0: do they call it whopper (laughs) (laughs) only burger king (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I i just got to say this real quick and i'm kind of going off i'm going off topic but i i mentioned all I, I mentioned a great deal of your experience you've also written some books you've also got a role-playing game
0: well i write for role-playing games the, this this is what i did as a teenager so for for those in the the real nerd world of role-playing games yeah Our i fans I grew up, yeah i grew up in <laughs> wisconsin so that's where gen con was which was the biggest and that's where Dungeons of Dragons created. Yeah, I got picked up when I was uh, 15 as a, as a writer for one of these companies because they all thought, I looked older, they all thought I was in grad school and I wasn't about to crack them and go, uh, guys, I, I, you know, I can work for you, but I haven't graduated from high school yet.
2: I have to get a ride.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, yes. I'll show up to your party, but my mom will have
2: to pick me up afterwards. <laughs> So so how many of these, I mean, the one that I saw was the, the Broken Arrow Chern- Chernobyl. What other what other ones have you got out there? Well, that's for
0: Call of Cthulhu, right? I'm really a specialist in Pendragon, which is um, Arthurian, so King Arthur. And I, I will tell you guys that back in the 80s, maybe it's different now, but if you were a real, real expert in Arthurian romance literature in junior high, it did not help you with girls at all.
2: Uh, <laughs> That's what it was. Too bad, man.
0: (laughs) Years later, all that experience was worthwhile because, yeah, a lot of the experience I got from role-playing games worked into how to actually construct war games. Because the whole idea of war games is, can you make the scenario believable? And if you're basing it on something that's already there so the first scene in the movie war games right it's a drill and they don't know it but it's all based on what they've been trained to do already right so they take it completely seriously and are probably pretty shaken up afterwards when they realize that that was only a drill now if you create something on a whole cloth that's a lot tougher because just like you said you you take to a simulation what you bring with you so it's just like You guys remember in Empire Strikes Back when Luke is on Dagobah, and just before he goes into the cave, right, where where he has this uh, fight with a a sort of Darth Vader that turns out to be himself, right? But before he goes into the cave, he asks Yoda, what's in there? And Yoda replies, only what you take with you, right? So when we design war games, it's always based upon what are the participants going to get out of this? What do they need to know? And what do they value the most so that they can suspend disbelief and then think that this is actually real, right? They'll feel that it's real. They'll feel that it's consequential. Have so you had
1: anybody with, point a gun at another guy and say, turn the key, sir?
0: <laughs> no, but I did have a war game. Um, this was spring 2017 in Kosovo. I, I had to cut it short because it was starting to, get, it was potentially getting violent. And and students who normally would be really quiet and just really good students, but they were taking it so seriously, and partly because part of the scenario dealt with refugees. And if you were that age in Kosovo, some of your first memories were being a refugee during the 1999 war. So it it hit all the buttons for them, and then they took it completely seriously. That's what's really important, and and they touch upon it in these movies too, right? Is that in war games they take it seriously because there are consequences, and because this already fits with what they believe, and to think differently, right? The last scene in the movie where Joshua suddenly has to realize the futility of all this, in reality, that can take decades, right? To go through all the war games, a human war game, to retrain your organization, you know, if it's like the US military, there are examples of this from the past. That can take ages and ages. But they're just hoping that if, maybe if you computerize that and say, you know, number of players zero, maybe you can do it in a couple of minutes while you're working out all the, all the potential simulated nuclear attacks. And I think Tron does it a bit too, um, although there it's a little bit different because like when Flynn goes into the computer, he knows he's in the computer, he knows he's somewhere different. Alan.
2: Where did you hear that name? Well, that's your
0: name, isn't it? The name of my user right and and he's just trying to get the information about dillinger and get back out which is the kind of classic disney fantasy you know quest and so forth war games was a little scarier just because remember there was that one line where matthew broderick asks is this real or is this just a game yeah and the computer pauses for a second and then comes back and says what's the difference and, and when it's computer controlled that's that's chilling because the computer doesn't care and that's why you always need the humans there
2: so real world Is there ever a situation where the participants do not know that it is a simulation, like at the beginning of War Games, where I mean, John Spencer's character, I mean, he's sweating bullets. They think this is really happening. He's pointing Michael Madsen's pointing the gun to get this job done. They had no idea that it was a simulation. Does that really happen?
0: Yeah, that can happen. And sometimes it can have bad consequences too. So, 2018, State of Hawaii carries out an emergency drill, unscheduled, unannounced drill uh, about their emergency announcement system. But one of the guys working doesn't know that it's really a drill. He thinks it's real, right? And, And one of the supervisors had gone off script and even said, no, no, there's a missile incoming from North Korea. This is not a drill. So he actually doesn't do the drill stuff. He goes through the extra screens to send out an emergency alert and the whole state of Hawaii Everyone gets an alert on their phone saying there's a missile incoming. <laughs> uh and and of course they don't know it's, that. it's yeah. not real. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. You know, you mentioned a couple of things there that I wanted to talk about when we got to the movie portion of this discussion. So you you talked about uh how writing role player games is not great at getting girls in high school. The moment when Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy are starting their relationship is such a, a really neat moment in the movie because it's that perfect moment where you're shifting from the friend zone to the relationship zone. And it's that moment where you're like touching hands, but not really holding hands. Are, is this happening? Are we really moving this direction? You know, and they're feeling each other out for, are we boyfriend and girlfriend, that type of thing. And to have the world go into disarray at the exact moment you're trying to figure out if you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I just found that moment neat this time around in the movie that i had kind of forgotten about
2: i'm i was going to be on tv next week (laughs) whoops (laughs) it was
0: such great chemistry between ali sheedy and matthew broderick there yeah because because it's it's just sort of unspoken especially when they're when they're in the bedroom the first time right and 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 they start the game yeah he's he's obviously trying to show off and change your grade yeah I, i could be useful for you but but it was more than that later
2: that was the first scene because obviously they were very nervous after Martin Bress got fired. They were worried about their jobs as well. And so that was the first scene that John Badham filmed with them. And he said that we did take after take after take. And they were just so stiff. And he said, I realized in reading this that, there was, that if I was a kid who had the capacity to change my school grade by using a computer and I was showing it to a girl I liked, I would be freaking out and ecstatic. I wouldn't be all dark and mysterious. And he said he had to shoot this thing over and over again to get them to finally relax and have fun. But once they, once they broke through, they really did. They, their chemistry was spot on.
1: Yeah. And then you mentioned the the moment where she traps him with her legs. Yeah, There's some sexual overture there that uh, I didn't catch in the fifth grade or whatever. Yeah, It's just kind of teasing, you know, flirtation, but it catches that moment where you're like, <laughs> you're trapping me with your legs <laughs> right around my crotch yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but, but then your mom intervenes to yell at you and come down that's and right take out the garbage
1: <laughs> your little friend can stay for dinner <laughs> her eye roll and laugh oh, is so intoxicating it is she's so cute the moment when they're in class together and the teacher says is talking about asexual reproduction and he leans over and tells her a joke and she starts laughing the teacher's like all right, Lightman, what is it? Can you tell me who had the idea first for asexual reproduction?
0: All right, Lightman. Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Um,
1: your wife? Get out, Lightman. He delivers it spot on, number one. But when you listen to the movie, you can tell there's tons of adults laughing in the background. Yeah. And, uh, that was a spontaneous moment. And a lot of people laughed out loud in the crew. Funny moment. That's great. By the way, the moment at the end of the movie, I wanted to talk about the tic-tac-toe moment, the climax of the movie, the learning that is going on right there by Joshua. When I watched it this time around, you know, they, they put tic-tac-toe up and they hope that he'll learn quickly. seems like he should have, if all he does all day long is play computer simulation games, wouldn't that be something that he would already know
2: He'd never played himself.
1: Okay. playing a human, but, but I had this
0: idea. Himself. Why Why didn't Falcon think of that? Why didn't Falcon at some point in his career think, hey, Joshua, you should play yourself.
1: He thinks about about two seconds when the whole thing's on the line.
2: I'm going to get on my phone and ask chat GPT to play itself a game of Tic Tac Co and see what happens. Zero players. The only winning move is not to play. Yeah. I do want to mention for that last scene,
0: the computer graphics i mean that was sort of simple vector graphics they're only using three colors that still i think holds up today I, I mean the the whole visual of seeing all the all the simulations suddenly play out all at once and and all these sort of bright circles where the nuclear impacts were um that that really didn't age all that well i mean maybe younger people look at it and they'll say oh that that looks really cheesy right but but i think that was pretty remarkable and i did want to give badham credit for that because they spent so much money on that set they spent like a million dollars on that norad set um to the point where the norad officers when they saw the movie went back and said, why doesn't our control room look as good as that's that that's right um but i also think badham i mean badham had been in the air force and he was such a big fan of stanley kubrick and if you look back at a movie like 2001 2001 you know kubrick was so good at again, as a futurist, of thinking what will computer interfaces look like. And if you go back at that movie and you'll see all these liquid crystal flat touch displays, you know, stuff that didn't actually exist for decades. And, and you compare that to any movie, any other science fiction movie up until about the mid-90s, right, where oh. you, you take like Mother from the movie Alien, which is just looks so antiquated nowadays. <laughs> right. But, but I think it was part of that influence. And so he actually influenced what NORAD, NORAD control room looks more like, The War Games movie today than it did back then.
1: Hey, not only that, not only that. President Reagan watched War Games at Camp David like the day it came out, and the next day at the meeting with the chiefs of staff, he's like, "Hey guys, can people break into our computer system?" And they realized, "Hey, we this is actually a vulnerability of the United States. This movie impacted the actual defense of the United States."
0: Yeah, yeah. So the cybersecurity defense really, really took a step up with this movie. I'm not sure if the whole hacking community was happy about that.
1: Um, but <laughs> but Sorry, it, all it, it, they need it, to do is type in the word pencil, and they can get yeah, right in. No yeah. problem. It, it, well, they were they were really relying
0: upon a lot of the the real hackers for um, technical expertise, but it still had to be a movie, so they couldn't go through all the login screens and you know what it would actually take to get into the high
2: school telnet. Otherwise, it was it was fairly accurate. Um, so I'm trying to think of situations that are similar. I don't think, I mean, and probably they would be kept secret at this point anyway, but I don't think that I've heard of a situation where someone has hacked into the government's computer system and caused some real trouble. I kind of remember a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, the movie The Interview, the Seth Rogan movie, where it was the idea was that Korea had hacked into something and was they were gonna like bomb the theaters that were. Uh, that were showing this movie because it was a strong anti-North Korea movie. But it turns out it was just a disgruntled employee from Sony I do remember the- who had hacked into it. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of big scale hack thing that I remember from the recent past. But are you aware of, Chad, are you aware of any like big hacks that have occurred?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the Chinese government hacked into the Office of Personnel Management for the U.S. government and basically stole the identities of every American, I mean, potentially every American who had a security clearance, which is not something the U.S. government likes to talk about a whole lot. But um, I I mean, it's out there. It happened. So you're talking about digital identities, you know, in Tron. um, It's also possible to go in and steal those and and for people to have those information. The same thing happened with some of the credit agencies like Experian, right? Mm -hmm. And all that information been stolen. But a lot of the back doors these days look a little different right? It's, it's not just the sort of one person sitting there hacking in. And oftentimes these are done by worms or, you know, so so there was just in the news, there was a Russian worm that was called Snake that, that was finally shut down and been operating for years. There was one called Solar Winds, which had compromised a lot of US government computers to the point where they don't even know exactly what was taken. A number of years ago, you had NotPetya, which the Russians had written to try to take out hospitals in Ukraine. Um, This is about 2018, 2017. But turns out it spread because you can't exactly tell a worm where to go. And it ended up knocking out a lot of the global logistics companies for, for a while. So Federal Express, UPS caused billions of dollars of damage for those companies. So okay. yeah, these these things do happen. And and a little more cinematically, uh, just two months ago, there were hackers that broke into Russian state TV and s- basically started a nuclear alert, told everyone that a missile was incoming, take cover. And so a lot of TV viewers in Moscow and Stutlusk saw that. And then the Russian government had to quickly follow up and say, No, 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 that, that we're, you know, we're just kidding. We're just kidding, you know. And <laughs> and I I didn't see who actually hacked did the hacky there, but um and you never a, lot, a lot of creative hackers in Ukraine, a lot of Ukrainian hackers actually worked for the Russian FSB before the war. Um, usually not willingly, um, FSB would usually come up to hackers and say, hey guys, we know who you are. We know what you do. We're going to just keep letting you do what you do, but you know, just don't attack the Russian government and sometime we're going to come up and ask you for a favor or two. And, and if you ever tell on us, we're, we'll expose you to the Ukrainian authorities or the FBI or whoever else. And, So yeah, there's plenty of it that goes on, but um, no, no, the government and corporations don't like to talk about it very much because it's bad for business.
1: It's awesome and scary all at the same time. We have Dr. Chad Briggs on here to give us the behind the scenes stuff on actual war games and these crazy incidents that happened in history and the time we almost got our tits lit up by Russia in 1983. And I'm here to tell you that the tunnel that they uh, used in the movie War Games, they actually used in Back to the Future Part 2.
2: They also used it in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There
1: you go. That's what I'm here. It's a to famous, tell you. famous tunnel. <laughs> uh, it's at a park in Los Angeles. Have you been there? Nope. All right. Put it on the to-do list. Yep. Okay. Can we talk about the Tron video game for a second? Do it. Okay, I've got some, some pretty cool stuff on this
2: all right? I'm excited So in
1: 1982, Bally Midway released the Tron video game But in 1981, Disney went to Bally Midway and said Hey, you want to make a game for this movie coming out? Here's the deal, it's fall of 1981 We gotta have it by summer of 1982 So, better get on it right this second well, this guy named Bill Adams was the programmer, and he almost didn't take the job because it was such a tight window. They wanted him to play six different games inside the arcade game. But because of the time crunch, we only got four. Right. So you get the light cycles, which is super fun. You get the battle tanks, which is similar to like combat in Atari. Exactly. You get where you fight the spiders or the grid bugs. And then you've got the part where you destroy the MCU that's rotating through. And each time you level up, it gets a little bit harder, a little bit faster, a little more tanks, and is tremendous amount of fun. Another game you alluded to earlier, The discs of Tron, came out in 1983, about 18 months after the movie came out. But that was during the great video game crash of 1983. So it did not do as well. I remember playing this game. Like you, we and I were talking about, it was actually a, like a full embodied game where you sit and you have a surround sound and playing a disc war against a, a different guy. The Tron video game made $45 million in quarters, which was more than the movie itself.
2: Yeah, well, they, they did everything right. The outside of the game had all of the lights and lines from the movie that just lit it up more than virtually i mean you just think about games like that are great like galaga and donkey kong and ms pac-man and all of these other games great games but the cabinet was all pretty much the same with just a different picture posted on the side right yeah but the tron game you had a backlit tron logo up at the top you had all of these computer lines going through, you had a very shiny display in front of a unique gaming system because what other games did you get both aviator style joystick buttons and a spin knob? Yeah, I mean, you get spin knobs on some and joysticks on the other, but not both of them together at the same time that you have to use in
1: conjunction Plus, you've got a trigger on the joystick. I mean, it was... Yeah. Plus, we talked about earlier the fantastic soundtrack. You're getting you Wendy Carlos blown out your ears every time you play Tron, and it was
2: awesome. Okay, I'm going to use that opportunity to segue into Wendy Carlos. Okay? So, Wendy Carlos, you mentioned, I think, in our last episode that she had... She'd have been involved with The Shining. She'd have been involved... What was the other movie?
1: Oh, the Clockwork Talkwork Orange. Orange. Yeah. yeah, so
2: you remember the soundtrack from those movies, all very heavy on electronic style music. She was a pioneer in the field. She put out an album, I think in maybe in the sixties, even it was a computerized synthesizer version of Bach music, which was unheard of at the time. I mean, people playing with computer music were making beeps and bops, like you're surrounded by 18 different computer games. She took it and played Brandenburg Concerto. I mean, it was amazing what she did, which is why she got involved with The Shining and why she got involved with Clockwork Orange. You know, again, Stanley Kubrick, seeing the future of entertainment, puts her on it. But she had been trained as a classical composer. Like, yeah, I'm good at making electronic music, but I also can create real music. And that's what she got the opportunity to do with Tron. The only problem is they gave her two days to come up with both. And she had this intention to have, you know, living orchestra music for the real world with the electronic music for the computer world. And she's having to cram all of this into a couple of days. So ultimately you get a bit of overlap because she had to go in and fix problems that occurred with the live music by sampling in computer music to overcome mistakes where the microphone is too far away, whatever. And what you get i mean it's just amazing that she accomplished this in such a short amount of time because it is i would say again one of the most memorable aspects of the movie.
0: yeah I, I think the music with the visuals was just so intoxicating that i, I just didn't even pay attention to the story until i, I don't know years and years later and, and and it was you know okay well evil guy in a three-piece suit i don't care about that but listen to the music right 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 and, Right, and tying it into the arcade, right, because all the other arcade music up until that point was just sort of bells and whistles kind of stuff, right? And it, you'd get some things you could remember, like the Donkey Kong, dun, dun 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 I personally think that that influenced a lot of later computer games to this day, where y- you get... The music track is so important, you know, and, and computer companies invest a lot into making sure that they get the music right.
1: And like I said, anytime I entered the arcade, put your ears out. Tron is in the back corner because I can hear Wendy Carlos. Following my ears yep. to the
2: soundtrack. Yep. Okay, so with War Games, composer was a guy named Arthur Rubenstein. Mm-hmm. He'd done a great many shows before. He ended up doing Stakeout, which, you know, one of your favorites. Love Stakeout. Did The Nick of Time and a few others. I told Jason when I was watching this, when I started the movie, I was like, okay, this movie is kind of going to be stuck in the 80s and it's going to be kind of forgettable because he's got a 80s style synthesizer playing. But what happens once they get into the full thick of the adventure, he moves into orchestration And I told Jason, I think it's on par with John Williams. Just think about how many times you have a camera rotating around the Whopper computer. That, I mean, literally nothing is happening except lights are going off. But because you have that intense music behind it, you are petrified that the bombs are about to fall. Right? I mean, it is just so well done. Now, they also enlisted the help of several music artists to come help them with this movie. But it ended up being... Bad timing, because once they had developed their whole library of songs to pick from, they get a new president of the studio who meets with them, and he's like, oh, no, songs. They don't ever help a movie. And John Badham's like, um, Saturday Night Fever? God. I don't know if you remember it or not. It's one of my movies, and uh, pretty important to have the BGS
1: on the soundtrack on that one. First of all, that guy is dead wrong. Obviously. Soundtracks in the 80s were humongous business. Huge. But you're talking to the guy who directed Saturday Night Fever.
2: Right. We don't need any songs. songs? Golly. No. <laughs> so they had to scramble. And he, Arthur Rubenstein, had to come up with more music to fill the spots that they had planned to put popular music in. And so he's he's thinking, okay, well, what do I do here? You know, what what am I gonna stick in this scenario? And he says, How about a harmonica? So The harmonica that's playing whenever you see John Wood, whenever you see Stephen Falcon flying the pterodactyl around, that is last minute. Let's throw (laughs) it together.
1: Here you go. And it's one of the most memorable sounds from the movie. Hey, listen, that guy did a great job. That composer and and the music is spot on. But I would like to visit the alternate universe where we get like. The Jay Giles band playing a song <laughs> called War Games or something like that. Yeah. You know, get a couple of popular songs. 1983 is MTV, huge, It'd be kind of fun.
0: Or at least closing credit by Duran Duran.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's let's talk for a moment about what doesn't work for you guys on these movies.
0: Yep. If I could start with Tron, I think, like I said, maybe I mentioned in the last episode, I the story just was a little convoluted.
1: All that is visible must grow beyond itself, and extend into the realm of the invisible.
0: Right. And it was kind of hard for people to follow. And I think back then it was almost impossible for people to follow, you know, because you're talking about these abstract ideas of apps and users who are really the programmers and the sort of master control. And as a kid watching it, I'm just like, "What? Flynn already lives in an apartment
2: above a video arcade. What more does he want? Right? Yeah. Uh, He's and, got and, girls taking his sweaty shirt from him and telling him <laughs> they'll catch up
1: with him later. <laughs> it's all in the wrists. Hey, Flynn, how'd you do it? It's all in the wrists. He just ended
0: the movie when he got the high score on his own video game,
1: right?
0: <laughs> and then one thing that just kind of bothered me when I watched it again was that at the end, you know, Jeff Bridges, he gets to master control and he gets the proof that Dillinger had stolen his programs and he prints it out on a dot matrix back in the real world. <laughs> yes. And then that's enough. What? That, that's it? That's all the Ball proof game. You need?
2: game over. There's no way to fake this.
0: No, <laughs> what are you talking no, about? No. Of course, which completely goes against what we all understand now, which is if it's digitalized, you can fake it. Right. And just having a printout doesn't mean anything. Um, in terms of war games, I would say that a lot of it still generally holds true. I mean, the whole idea of war dialing, where, where you just sort of randomly dialing numbers to try to find computers, that was all, that was completely real. The idea about possibly having a backdoor into the DoD, that could happen, right? Because there was this idea of remote work. So you know, they're, they're always sort of back doors. And it was good that they actually had the scene to kind of explain that to people. I love those um, guys, by the way,
2: the two <laughs> nerds, the two hacker nerds, those guys were fantastic casting. Choices. Mr.
1: Potato head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember when I told you you're being annoying. That was one of those times.
0: <laughs> I don't know how you would get from Colorado to some small airport in, in Oregon on whatever sort of salary that uh, Ali Sheedy's character had, you know, from <laughs> from her high school. So yes. I, that, that always kind of bugged me a little bit. It's like, how,
1: how, wait, how would she afford
0: that? But that was just sort of a minor thing. And I don't know, the tic-tac-toe thing always bothered me just a little bit. I, I know it it needed to be there for the story, and it led into what was what was really visually and in terms of the music and and the tension, everything striking, where where they're showing all the different simulations playing out. But there was just something a little hokey about playing tic-tac-toe uh, and 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 having the computer do that, and then having officers say, "Don't put X in the center square." <laughs> 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 but he did a pretty good. I mean, like I said, Badham was in the Air Force, so he did a pretty good job in representing what Air Force officers were like and what it would actually be like there. I mean, my grandmother used to work at NORAD, I should say, in Colorado Springs. She never really told me much about it and I never got to go visit it. But yeah, it was, and, and, and missile command officers, they're kind of a different breed. Um and you kind of gotta be. Maybe it's like submariners, but if you if you spend 24 hours down in a little concrete bunker with a key that can kill 30 million people, uh that takes a different psychology. I worked with some of them, they're great guys, but it's it's a different it, wow, they're they're different people.
2: Wow. So are we talking like ice water in their veins or are we talking about screws that aren't tightened all the way?
0: <laughs> it it's more like the dark dark humor that they have to have to <laughs> survive their work. And so they will joke about like missile mishaps, you know, mishaps, which means that a missile exploded. Uh, and and and, and talking, yeah, yeah. I remember when that one Atlas missile blew up and, you know, the, the warhead got thrown off like 300 meters and we didn't even know if it was going to blow up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which actually happened, that, that did actually happen in, what was it, Missouri or Arkansas? Right around 1980. <laughs> There, there's a whole there's a whole TV show. I was in Arkansas in
2: 1980. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's good you're still here. <laughs> but no, it's it's just the gallows humor that they would have about things, and and so I, I'm kind of glad that War Games at least inserted a little bit of humor, because the original idea for the you know for the movie, it, at least from the first director, you know, Brest. Um, he went to make it more like failsafe, and, and it took bad him to come in and sort of insert a bit of humor in there. And I, I think it was the same thing with Dr. Strangelove. Kubrick wanted that to be a really serious movie. Although once you cast Peter Sellers and Slip Pickens, I don't know what you're expecting to happen, but
1: what in the wide, wide world of sports?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, D what, what didn't work for you? Um, I, I tend to agree with what Chad said about tron the dot matrix printer printout just did seem i mean immediately i was like what this is the proof this is what (laughs) that comes from the fact that i now know how all those things work back in 1982 i had no idea i mean i didn't i didn't i didn't get the joke of that his little his yes no responder guy is named bit and that his yes, no responses are binary. I didn't understand any of that. I just thought it was a cool little graphic. And it said, yes, no, no, yes. no, yes. Yeah. Positive yeah. Positive and negative, huh? You're a bit. Well, where's your program? Isn't he going to miss you? I'm your program. <laughs> Another mouth to feed.
1: <laughs>
2: so... My big problem with Tron is that once Flynn defeats the villain, he becomes the villain. Like the next scene <laughs> is him in this high power business suit flying in on a helicopter. I'm like, what? This is what you did with it? You just took his place. You didn't like do something, you know, rebellious and exciting. You just became another suit. That, that was a little lame for me. Um, I actually very much liked the tic-tac-toe. Storyline for war games. I thought that was a brilliant way to to segue the computer into determining that there are no winners when it comes to global thermonuclear war. The one problem that I actually had with the movie was something that a whole lot of people liked. And it was this scene they thought they had to stick in there. And it was the scene where Ali Sheedy is talking to Matthew Broderick about I was going to be on TV and he's saying, I was going to learn how to swim and this whole kind of, you know, sad, we are not going to see next week. We're not going to see our dreams come true because the world is about to end. And it was a last minute decision, put it in. And they had Tom Mankiewicz diamonds for forever. The guy who probably really wrote Superman. They said, Hey, can you come up with a scene and give it to us by tomorrow? And of course Mankiewicz delivers um, his payment, by the way, was a washer dryer set. <laughs> but I don't think that that scene was necessary for the movie. I think they could have conveyed the same idea without having that scene in there. But other than that, i th- I thought it was a wonderfully executed movie, and I got I got really nothing bad to say about it at all.
0: Okay. By the way, I, none of us have mentioned yet the corn on the cob scene, which <laughs> the was, was brilliant in its own way. Yeah, doesn't need to be in the movie. But I would not take it out because it's one of the most memorable scenes.
2: It gives those two parents some personality.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for me, I have a little bit of problems with Tron because I know for sure when I was a kid and I saw it in the movie theater, I was expecting more Star Wars-like action. The light cycles were Amazing, but they're only in it for just a couple of minutes. Throwing discs, you know, having a disc battle like the gladiator style disc battle. I am all on board for, and they do it a couple of times. So for me, I just I wanted more of that action. I love the world that the those guys created, but uh less talkie talky and more walkie-walkie. That's it.
0: <laughs> That's did, it. Did you ever try doing the disc fights in real life? You know, with Frisbees? Oh, oh he shit, like, heck yeah. yeah, my big brother, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And War Games, everything works for me except for one thing. And it's kind of what you were talking about, Chad, where there's a timeline and they're just wasting time flying, you know, here and she picks him up there and the whole time the clock is ticking. And I'm sure that there's enough time, but he escapes from NORAD. You know, he outsmarts the U.S. military, sneaks out with the bus people from Birmingham, You know, he takes a flight here, she drives in there, they go to talk to to Dr. Falcon. All of this is happening while the Whopper is getting ready and loading the launch codes. And I'm sure there's enough time. It just seems like there's a lot of wasted time there. But otherwise, I thought these are both great movies and War Games especially strong. So, okay. So before we get to Final Judgment, there's a couple of things I want to throw out to you guys. War Games was nominated for three Oscars. They thought they had a pretty good movie when they screened it in San Antonio, The audience stood up and cheered. You remember the last time we talked about a movie that was screened in Texas that had a very resounding audience approval? No. Jaws. Jaws was screened in Dallas. The guy walks out, throws up, and walks back in, right? Yep, that's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: Oh, I I just wanted to mention um, with Jeff Bridges, like not only was he so good at being Flynn, just the sort of laid-back... Big Lebowski stuff you'd see later with yeah. Coen Brothers. But because the movie kind of portrayed this idea of reality and unreality and virtual reality, I, I think that he portrayed that in some of the later movies, like dealing either with trauma or with, you know, just dealing with the reality of the world. So with movies like Fearless and Fisher King, with Jeff Bridges is both in the lead. And, and And I think those are brilliant movies in their own way. But I can also see when I watch Tron again now. Hey,
1: that's the same Jeff Bridges. We just did Big Lebowski not too long ago. Yeah. He's great in that, but it's a completely different character.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know that I'd say completely different. I, I got the feeling that Flynn was was smoking some tie stick before, <laughs> before he started playing man. Yeah. Lobotron or whatever the name of the game was. He has a rug that he likes that ties the <laughs> whole rim together. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you see his apartment? Yeah. Other than the big other thing, Tom Hanks's apartment from big, that's the apartment that I would have wanted to have. Yeah. Yeah. The one right above the arcade. Right above the arcade. All the hot girls with the Flynn's t-shirts on. I would really like to have a Flint's t-shirt.
1: I, I would too. legitimately would. Yeah. By the way, have you ever seen somebody get so sweaty playing video games? He literally comes in, peels it off. It's like dripping with sweat. Gross. Yeah. Come on. But dude.
0: maybe he did that, you know? Uh they they put actual video games, arcade games, on the set so that they could practice with them. And apparently, Jeff Bridges loved playing Battlezone, which was one of my favorite games. By the way, Battlezone, really? Yeah, those vector yeah. Green, graphics, green vector graphics. Yeah.
1: All right, are we ready for final judgment? Let's do it. Who's going first? Chad, you get to go first, man.
0: All right, I I, I gotta say, war games. You know, Tron Tron was inspirational. It was revolutionary. But it just didn't age or influence me personally in the same way. And there was so much to not believe about the movie when it came out, you know, because you're sitting there thinking, oh, come on, a talking computer. Really? You know, I mean, that, that's not really But now we've we've got phones that will talk to us. You know, I've got Alexa sitting in my desk and she'll talk to me. So it's almost like the movie caught up to the real world. And like we discussed, this movie it didn't so much foreshadow because stuff was happening that we just didn't know about. Right. But life was imitating the art in war games.
2: Um, Yeah, I didn't honestly, when we started this project, I did not think I would pick uh, what I'm about to pick because I, I think that it is a movie that has of the two movies, it has just aged better. I love both of the movies when they first came out, but as a little kid, Tron was more fascinating to me because It had the light cycles, it had all of the cool games, it had the video game associated with it. I mean, it was all the stuff that I was completely into in 1982. And War Games was, I mean, it was really kind of more of a grown-up movie that had a couple of teenagers in it. Now, 40 years later, I'm a grown-up and I'm going, yes. Not only is it a grown-up movie, but it is better pacing, better written. It is better executed. The only thing that Tron wins out for me, hands down on, is the soundtrack. Tron's soundtrack, far and above War Games' sand- soundtrack, which I still think is great. But movie to movie, no question for me, War Games is the better movie.
1: Jason? Wow, well, I, I hate to make it the hat trick, but <laughs> for me, War Games is better acted. It's uh, better paced. Uh, the plot is compelling. Um it's, it's a better movie. I mean, War Games is just flat better. Now, Tron is visually stunning. It's fascinating. The use of computer graphics early on is really cool. Soundtrack is amazing. It gave us all this great... It, it really gave me a great universe to play in with the discs and the tanks and the light cycles. By the way, no guns in this yeah. at the insistence of Steven Lisberger. Nice. That's why there's no gun of any kind. So I love the universe of Tron, but movie to movie, it is not even a contest. War games is far superior. However, Tron the video game, number one, War Games, number two, Tron the movie, number three. What about War
2: Games the game? There's no game. For them. There was, dude. They came what? out, yeah. They came out with like a, an Atari style
1: really? War games. Yeah. You're not counting Miz Command. No, I am not counting. this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It didn't fare as well as the Toronto. I, know, I don't did. remember that one at all. Chad, thank you so much for joining us, man. I hope you had a great time talking about this with us.
0: Yeah, this is, this has been great, you know, and I, I, I do encourage all your listeners, you know, sign up for his, uh, Patreon and, uh, you know become part of the project so and I will say my favorite episode that you guys ever did was the dirty dancing soundtrack I, I still remember listening to that while while biking through Anchorage and just thinking oh my god this is just crazy what I'm learning here and so even the music that I don't agree with um you know I never knew anything about White Snake or Def Leppard or whatever it just wasn't my thing in, in junior high or high school but I'll listen to those episodes because it's <laughs> it's history right
2: Thank you. Yeah, we truly appreciate that, man. It has been such an incredible pleasure having you on the show. I knew that we were going to learn a ton, and I was not let down at all. You have exceeded my expectations. Thank you very much. Do you have any parting words for the Shirley fans other than plugging us? Obviously, is there anything that we can tell them to go check out of yours? I mean, obviously, you're an entirely different world than we are. But does it help you at all if they're playing your RPGs?
0: Yeah, you can look up my name under the uh, Miskatana repository. So it's it's called Cthulhu. I I have two scenarios out, but I, I offer them for free. Because I was I was getting paid handsomely by universities and U.S. government. So I thought I'd just give those to the world. But yeah, I do have a book called Disaster Security, which talks extensively about war games and how we create them and uh, what goes into them. So yeah, definitely look for that if you want.
2: Fantastic. We've got to figure out another time to get you back. Yeah. Hey, I, I would love to do Labyrinth. Labyrinth, okay. Labyrinth, interesting. Actually, now that I think about it, very early on, Chad was suggesting the Peter Gabriel album So, and I said, oh, hey, maybe we could compare that to Phil Collins and No Jacket Required, and who knows, maybe that's the episode to have you back for.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything related to Genesis, especially if you go back to the, the Genesis of Genesis,
2: the Peter Gabriel days when hey, they were weird. We talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really.
0: Well, you you guys saw my top five for 1988, right? So you know I'm I'm living in a different world. If I put Susie in the Banshees right up at the top.
1: That's right. There you go. Tati what was the girl's name? Uh, Tatiana, something or other. That was her name? Oh, Tania
0: Takaram. T- T- T-
1: yes. Never heard of her.
0: No, American American audiences just don't know her. But she she was in the top 10 in the UK. Huge, huge still in Norway.
1: Uh, awesome. Give, give us a song to listen to of hers. Yeah.
0: Um, I think her first album is still one of the best. Um, so Valentine Heart, um, Twist My Sobriety was her best known. But if you want something really soft and darkly poetic, uh, Valentine Heart is, uh, th- that's really one of the most memorable
2: from 1988 for me. I'm putting it on the Spotify queue as I drive home today. Chad, thank you so much, man. It's been a great time having you on here. Love talking these things with uh, another 80s nerd like us.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chad. Good to meet you, buddy. Truly fans, be sure
2: and come and check us out. Our next episodes are going to be our Clint Eastwood episodes. Any Which Way You Can versus Every Which Way But Loose. Clyde. The
1: Clint and Clyde episodes of the 70s.
2: Be sure and hit that subscribe button or that follow button so that you don't miss any of those episodes. We will see you guys next week.